Well, throughout this first half of the summer, we are continuing in a, a series here on the, some of the parables of Jesus. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at a, a very short parable. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to join me in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, if you just stand as we read God's Word today. We're in Luke chapter 13, and we're going to read just two verses, verses 20 and 21. Would you hear these words of the Lord for us this morning? Again, Jesus said, To what can I compare God's kingdom? It's like yeast which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat, a bushel of wheat flour, until the yeast had worked its way through the hole. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. Amen. You know, we, we find ourselves again today in this part of Luke's gospel that is sometimes referred to as the travel narrative because it's in this section in the middle part of Luke's gospel where Jesus is very clearly on this journey to Jerusalem. And we know he's not just going on vacation, right? Jesus is headed to Jerusalem because where's he headed to? The cross, Jesus is on his journey to the cross, and that looms in the horizon. It, it's something that we can see, especially those of us who've, who've read through this story before. We, we see the cross ahead, and, and Jesus is on his way there. And I say that again today because by the time we get to chapter 13, there's beginning to be the awareness of some tension and some challenge. The start of chapter 13, Jesus talks a little bit about what it means to count the cost. In fact, there's a parable that deals with that at the beginning of chapter 13. A little later in chapter 13, Jesus has this encounter with some religious leaders. And while it's not as bad as some of them will get, you can see the, the tension just beginning to build. We know what is coming. We, we know that even though the cross is a ways off, there is challenge on this journey. And in fact, for the disciples who were going on this journey with Jesus, they didn't see the end of the journey. They didn't know what was going to happen. For us, we can talk about the cross, and we know that after the cross comes the resurrection. And so we look at that a little bit differently, but, but for those disciples, they had no clue how all of this was going to work out. And so those would prove to be some very difficult and challenging days. And so even here, even though the cross is a long ways off, Jesus begins to give them these, these nuggets of hope that they can hold on to, these things that they will be able to look back on when things get difficult. Because sometimes when journeys are long and journeys are tough, we need those things to hold on to, right? You know, I, I, um, I did something kind of crazy yesterday. Uh, I went on a run with my neighbor. And a lot of you know I, I run quite often, and so you think, well, that's not that crazy. What made it crazy is my, my neighbor is training for a 50-mile run, and I am not. And so I tagged along with him for a while, for 17 and a half miles, and uh, we, we went out, you know, we, we went out Appleway Trail to Liberty Lake and went by the golf course and out towards the lake. And I can't remember the name of the road, but there's a road that climbs that ridge that sits between here and the lake. And you know, some of you know what road I'm talking about. It kind of goes up and you kind of go down the backside and, and around Salty's Flats and then back over. It was a beautiful run. 
I forgot how much you can see from the top of that ridge. You can see the entire valley, which is wonderful and demoralizing at the same time because you realize how far you have to go, how far it is to get back home. You know, the journey to the cross would be a long journey. The journey after the cross for a lot of the disciples would be a long journey as well. And sometimes for us, as we seek to live this life of faith, it can be a long journey. It can be a difficult one. And yet, in the midst of that, we find places in scripture, like this simple parable, that offers this incredible message of hope. But it's interesting the way we get to this, because, you know, you you wouldn't think that a parable about yeast or leaven would be a message of hope. The reason I say that is because in the ancient world and, and even in much of the Old Testament and even a few places in the New Testament, leaven is not something that was associated with good things. In fact, typically, leaven was associated with moral corruption. Not usually the thing you would think would be referred to for giving hope. Eleven was associated with with moral corruption, and and maybe some of that is because of the way in which it's created. You see, you you and I can go to the grocery store and and buy yeast to make our bread to rise, but in the ancient days, they couldn't do that. So they took some leftover dough or leftover bread and left it out so it would begin to, well, rot. (laughs) And once this process started, they would feed that dough that was starting to rot. They would give it warmth and moisture and sugar, and then that would cause it to grow, and that would cause it to produce carbon dioxide, which would fill the bread and make the bread rise. But the very thing that would do this was this matter that was starting to decay. And this matter that was starting to decay would very quickly fill anything that it was a part of. Perhaps it's some of those reasons that leaven was not looked upon favorably. In fact, in, in, um, in the Old Testament, when, when God is leading his people from, from Egypt to, uh, towards the promised land, there's instructions for them to only eat unleavened bread for an entire week. And the reason is, is this is a time of, of purification. This is a time of, of learning to place their trust in God and allow themselves to be purified so that they could walk in faithful obedience with God. And it's not a coincidence that the absence of leavened bread was associated with becoming pure and putting their trust in God. And the reason I I say this for us is because it's interesting that Jesus would choose something like leaven to talk about the kingdom of God. Maybe it's because of some of the way in which leaven worked. We we realize here in our story that that here's this person who just takes a very little bit and puts it into the dough and mixes around. And and pretty soon this this little amount has, has covered or has permeated an entire bushel of wheat. Do you know how much a bushel of wheat is? Anybody know how much a bushel of wheat is? It's three measures of flour. That helped, didn't it? It's about 50 pounds or about enough to bake enough bread for around 160 people. That's a lot of bread, isn't it? 
Just a little bit of leaven goes a long way. It can permeate a whole lot of dough. It can, it can accomplish a lot of work. It's interesting, though, that this unit of measure doesn't only show up here in the Gospels. In fact, there's a, there's a place in, in Genesis, in, in Genesis chapter 18, within, within the life of the story of Abraham. Some of you are familiar with the story of Abraham. God had, had spoke to Abraham, called Abraham, when, when Abraham was 75. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your descendants. I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. And as I bless you, you in turn will bless all the people of the earth. Well, Abraham and his wife, his wife was barren. They had no children. So it was going to be really challenging for them to become a father of a great and mighty nation. 24 years later, at the ripe old age of 99, while his wife was 90, God spoke again and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And Abraham just kind of laughed and said, God, (laughs) you know, we're not exactly at that point of life to start a family. I really don't think this is going to happen. But God affirmed this commitment. And then we're told in Genesis 18 that one day, Abraham was sitting outside of his tent in the middle of the day, and, and all of a sudden he sees these three men. And he welcomes these three men. He says, come, come, let, let me give you something to drink and let me prepare some food for you. And so he goes into the tent and he says, Sarah, we've got these guests. They've come. You need to, break, uh, you need to bake some, some bread for them. And he tells her to use three sihas of flour, which is a different name, but guess what? It's the same amount of flour that we just encountered to make bread for these people. You know, we now look back to the encounter with these three men as an epiphany. It was a place where God showed up because God spoke through them to say, one year from now, you will have a son. And guess what? A year later, they had a son. God showed up to do the unexpected. You know, there's another place in scripture in Judges 6.19, God calls, God sends his messenger to a man by the name of Gideon. And God's messenger calls Gideon to lead God's people, uh, to, to lead them and rescue them from a group of people called the Midianites. And Gideon, he's like, you know, I'm not from a very important tribe. Like, why would you call somebody like me? There are far more qualified people out there. Why would you want me? I, it's hard for me to believe, God, that you would call somebody like me. And so in order to make sure that, that this is in fact true, What I'm going to do is I'm going to prepare an offering for you. And guess what part of his offering was? It was an epaph of flour for unleavened bread, which again is this same unit of measurement once again. And then there's a story in 1 Samuel when, when Hannah dedicates her son to God at the temple. And guess what her gift is? You know, we see this amount of flour show up several different times in Scripture. It seems to show up in these situations where God is present in the most unlikely of places. And when God is about to do something that nobody would ever expect. And yet those are the places where God shows up. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that this same unit of measurement, this same total amount is what shows up here in this parable. And that God is using something that oftentimes people would not associate with the kingdom of God. 
Jesus chooses to use leaven in this story to talk about the nature of God, to, to talk about some of the ways that, that God shows up in the most unlikely of places, in the most difficult of situations in order to accomplish something that only God could do. That's the way that God works. And that's the way that the kingdom of God works. Even, even when we don't see things happening, God is working. You know, this, this leaven that is placed in with the rest of the ingredients, you don't see it working. It doesn't seem like it had accomplished anything, but even when you don't see it, it is working. It is doing something that we could never imagine. You know, I, I've thought of this parable a lot of times over the last year and a half. You know, this year and a half has is, is certainly been unique. But there are those times in life when things just don't make sense, <laughs> when things don't work out the way we want. I suppose what's made this last year and a half unique is because we all kind of found ourselves in the midst of that. When almost overnight, everything that we knew had changed. When almost overnight, even, even when it comes to life in the church, right? The, the things we are used to doing, the, the ways we're used, to, we're, we're used to seeing God work, all of that was changed. Like just in a matter of moments almost. And that can make it really difficult to know if God is working, right? It can make it really difficult to see God present in our lives when some of the ways that we are used to experiencing God all of a sudden kind of get changed around on us. That was difficult. It was difficult for me. Was it difficult for any of you? I'm the only one. Maybe one of you wants to come finish this sermon and preach to me then. You know, but in the midst of these situations, some of what we see in this parable, but some of what we see throughout Scripture, is that God is a God who shows up in unlikely places to do extraordinary things. And often God works and is working even when we cannot see it. Even when we cannot see it, even when it looks like nothing is happening, God is able to do something remarkable. Right before this parable was another really short parable, the parable of a mustard seed. One of the smallest seeds that becomes this large shrub that's big enough for birds to build nests in. We start to get these different pictures of the kingdom of God, the ways that God is working and I just want to remind us today that through all of the challenges we've gone through over the last year and a half, through all of the unknown challenges that are ahead of us in the days to come, we have a God who is present and we have a God who is moving and we have a God who's active even when we struggle to see that. Amen? You know, I, I guess I just kind of find myself reminding or remembering again some of the context of where this is. We find this story in the travel narrative, in Jesus' journey to the cross. And in that, Luke is kind of reminding us that to be a follower of Jesus is to be on this journey with Christ. And one of the first stories in the travel narrative was when Jesus took all of his followers, Luke tells us it was 70 of them, and sends them out into the villages to go and be about the work of Jesus. And that's one of the ways that Luke is telling us that as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I 
are called to participate in the work of Jesus in the world around us, amen? You and I are a sent people. To be faithful followers doesn't mean that we just come and gather, but we come and gather so that we can be sent to go and do God's work in the world around us. And as I think of that, I also think of the fact that sometimes we go out there and, and we live in ways where we try to communicate and we just don't see God working, but we are reminded that God is working. And so my questions for you today is this, but really it's my question. Where is God calling you? Where is God sending you? What is God asking you to do for the service and sake of God's kingdom? Are there people God is calling you to reach out to? Are there hurting people in need of your love, God's love through you? Are there neighbors or family members who need to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ that can make them whole? Where is God calling you? Where is God sending you? You know, the invitation for us is to go where God calls and be faithful to God's calling and then to trust the results even when it doesn't appear to us as if anything is happening. Because God is at work when God's people are faithful. Amen? You know, we're invited into this journey not to accomplish this ourselves, but we're invited into this journey to go with God who goes before us. We celebrated one of our sacraments earlier today, the sacrament of baptism. But we have another sacrament that we celebrate much more often in the life of the church. And that's the sacrament of communion, in which we share in this simple meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. You know, as we share in this, one of the things it reminds us of is that we continue to need the grace of God in our lives, right? We actually practice in a reaffirmation of baptism vows because with baptism, we don't have to be baptized again and again and again. But with communion, it reminds us that while we are brought into this faith by the grace of God, we continue to need the grace of God to walk faithfully in this journey throughout. And so as we consider the fact to where God is sending us, I invite us to receive again fresh and anew the grace of God in our lives as we trust in Jesus, as we follow him. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you today for the gift of your son. Lord, we thank you today for this simple meal of bread and juice. And God, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit and that through our obedience in this act to which you've called us to participate, we pray that your bread, this bread and juice would be your means of grace in our lives today. That you would continue to work in us so that your kingdom might be made known through us. And Lord, and as we pray that this bread and juice would be a means of grace for us, we also offer ourselves today. And we pray that we in turn would be a means of grace for those around us that they also would experience your grace through us. So God, today we offer these gifts to you and we offer ourselves to you for the furthering of your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen. You know, Jesus 
gathered with his disciples on the same night that he would be betrayed and they shared in the Passover meal this incredible reminder of God's faithfulness. And during the course of that meal, Jesus took the bread and after having given thanks, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Would you eat this in remembrance of me? So let's eat together today. Later on in the meal, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you, the new covenant. And whenever you eat of the bread or drink of the cup, would you do so in remembrance of me? I invite you to join me today as we drink together. Let us drink and always be thankful. Lord, we thank you again today for these gifts that you have given to us. And God, today, as we are a called people and a sent people, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust in the nature of your kingdom, to know that you are present and that you are working not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. And so God, by your grace and power, made known in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Would we walk in faithful obedience to go and do what it is that you've called us to do? In your name, amen.